Genesis chapter 3, our text this morning. We will consider the first seven verses. Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 7. I want to welcome every one of you this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. Brussels sprout a perfect depiction of sin. That is great. Great idea on messing with the clocks. Whoever, like, let's just, let's just all lose an hour of sleep. I am impressed with every one of you who obviously you put a lot more preparation than probably you normally do on Saturday night thinking about what um, was coming. I thought about it. We, we, have some, we have some weird like laws and rules. Like how and where do we start to move the clock around we, we live in a country with literally we have hundreds if not thousands of rules that we must listen to on a regular basis and a lot of them are good rules okay but then there's some that's like what exactly is that about or how how come they forgot can't text when you drive which we know that and that's a good rule it's dangerous if you text and you drive it's dumb if you text and you drive and yet this week, I, I, I was at a stop, so I, there was a guy, it had to be an, an Irish wolfhound in his front lap licking his face. And that's totally legal. You know, at some level, it's just like, how, how does that even work? Like how, I think when we see rules and laws, we kind of see it through like blurry lens. We see it through a corrupt world. This morning we're going to look at the Word of God, His Word, His law, okay? We can't view it through kind of corrupt eyes. We have to see it as absolute truth. Why? Because the Word of God, we're going to examine this today, the Word of God is being attacked probably now more today, this time, than ever before. In all of history, what God has said is literally being attacked. Therefore, we're going to see the authority of God's word and why it is of utmost importance, utmost importance for us to consider God's law as perfect, as perfect. Genesis chapter 3, this is, this is the one. I, I was reminded this week, if we get the first three chapters wrong, okay, of the book of Genesis, then we get all the word of God wrong. It is, it is that foundational. Let's, let's read the text before we pray and commit our time to the Lord together. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'll read from the English Standard Version, the ESV. The word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God 
acknowledging good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The word of the Lord. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we dig into our text before us this morning? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we are, we are humbled. And we are grateful for who you are and your presence with us today. And your word that is perfect. We thank you, Lord, that you've blessed us and privileged us today to, to be together like this. To lift up our voices in praise to you. To offer prayers of confession that we fall short of your glory. But we thank you, Lord, that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray, Lord, that your word would cut hearts today. May, may we understand the significance and the importance of temptation and the destructiveness that comes when we succumb to that. I pray, Lord, that we would not only understand the severity of sinfulness, but we would also see the, the great grace of your forgiveness for our sin. And the sacrifice that was paid on our behalf. We thank you for the ministry of Jesus. Father, now please, may you quiet our hearts to hear from you and you alone. Please, may the meditations of my heart, the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay, two whole chapters, we have seen what? It, it has been perfect perfection, unparalleled splendor. We've considered the lushness of the garden, the sparkling rivers, the abundance of exotic and beautiful fruit, the intimacy of husband and wife, unashamed, completely innocent. It has been beauty upon beauty upon beauty. And yet now, as we turn the page to chapter 3, something happens. All of it, all of it comes crashing down in what all of history refers to this now simply as the fall. We know this as the fall. Kenneth Matthews accurately proclaims, the woman listens to the serpent, the man listens to the woman, and no one listens to God. It's the reason I think that we question so much his word. Is this really what he means? Now, for the record, let me, let me set something very, very clear here as we dive into this. There is 
endless, endless speculation. And there are what many critics that they have with the book of Genesis, particularly now in chapter 3, that this account is not literal. Why? Because snakes don't talk. Okay? So it must not be literal. So, so rather what happens, it must be a fable. Or it must be a myth or a legend of some sorts. Before we dive into this, I, I would pro propose that we stay within a literal framework for our interpretation of Scripture. Rather than attempting to squeeze into this what the moral of the story is, which would be a case for a, a fable, or the fact that Adam and Eve, perhaps some would say, are not historical people, but they're only a fantastical depiction of larger-than-life figures, which would be the case for a legend. But if you think of it, in this particular narrative, they're not painted in a very flattering light. So these things just don't fit. It's not a fable, it's not a legend, it's not a myth. Rather, what's happening, I believe we have before us a simple unfolding of events in the early days of history that reveal the consequences of disobedience. And scripture emphatically supports this truth. We know throughout the pages of scripture, man and woman were created holy. They were created righteous in the image of God, but fell into sin. And what did so as representatives, particularly Adam, for all of human race. Thus they faced the consequence of God's judgment, which is what? Which is death. Which it's obvious we still suffer that today. And this aligns with all of scripture. It's very clear. 1 Corinthians 15. For as by a man came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Romans chapter 5 and verse 15. If many died through one man's trespass. Much more have the grace of God. What we have to see is that these words before us that we just read, this truth can only match with a clear and absolute literal interpretation. So here it is. Adam and Eve really lived. Adam and Eve really sinned. Adam and Eve really died. And a snake really, really, really did talk so as we what begin this chapter we are introduced to the very first time the enemy of God and we will see something from the time in the garden to this very day in your home your living room your dining room your office your classroom the tactics that we will see of the tempter the tactics of the wicked one, the father of lies, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. His tactics from the garden to today remain exactly the same. Here it is, number one. What does he do? He is always casting doubts. First and foremost, did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. 
Now, we are not given a ton of detail. Remember, this is, this is Moses retelling the accounts to the Jewish people. And, and I wish there was more details because we have a lot of questions, and they are good questions. How is it that a serpent actually talks? Like, I don't know. We're not told that. Think about the question. If, if everything was created good, which, which we know, the words of the snake are not good. What, was, it a, was it a good snake gone bad? And yet sin had not entered the world at this particular point. There's good questions here. He's more crafty than any other. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's evil. The word is shrewd. Is it, is it Satan speaking through a snake? Or is it directly Satan implied from Revelation chapter 12? That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the world astray. These are all good questions that we have here. Was the snake coiled and kind of hiding behind the leaves? Or was it outstretched? Hissing with a forked tongue. All good questions. Questions that we really don't have the answer for. What we need to do is focus primarily on what is happening here. What is happening? Did, did God actually say? What is happening here? The word of God is being attacked. So a lot of good questions like what, what exactly, what big picture is happening? The word of God is being attacked. Now... When Satan casts doubt on the authority of God's word, I want you to listen. I want you to listen very carefully. I want you to watch and I want you to see what happens even today when God's word is spoken. When God's word is preached. When God's word is taught today. Much like Eve. There's, there's doubt that is cast by what? Three things. The first one is this. By diminishing God's word. That's what Eve does. That's what other people do today. They, they attempt to diminish God's word. God said what? In chapter 2 verse 16. You may eat of every tree of the garden. Every tree of the garden. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat. That's what the instruction was in chapter 2, verse 16. But, but Eve leaves out a detail. <clears throat> Eve leaves out the word every tree. And, and she says what? We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. And she leaves out this one word every. You're like, well, that's kind of picky, isn't it? Like, what if she forgot? No, 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 no. By not being precise, she is what? She's leaving room for, as one commentator says, what? An unenthusiastic rendition of God's word. Thus, she ultimately is minimalizing the gifts of God. She's minimalizing the generosity of God. Think of this, sure, sure, we get the tangerines, we get the nectarines, 
We get the pomegranates. We get the olives and the almonds. We get the kumquat, the pineapples, and the coconuts. But we don't get the apple or whatever fruit it was. We're not told. She has all of these things. But we don't get this one. What is, what is a way that the word of God is diminished before us? At some level, people think that what? God's holding out on us. That really he doesn't want us to be totally content, totally happy that God is holding out on us. We see Eve diminishing the word of God. We also see Eve, number two, adding to God's word. You could say, is it, is it worse? Arguably, I don't, we don't add, we're not to detract from scripture. God said what? Eve adds this. Eve says what? God said that you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. Wait a minute. I'm sorry, but I, I don't see that. That's not what God said. God never said that you cannot touch the tree. He said you shall not eat of the tree. Well, we're kind of being picky here, aren't we? Wait, wait a minute here. While reducing the generosity of God, she is at the same time magnifying the strictness of God. Just touch it and you die. That's not what God said. Touch it, zap, dead, life's over. No, no, that's not what's happening here. That is so typical. People would also say that God is so cruel. He's holding out on you. And he's just waiting to knock you over dead. God is so cruel. Think about this. Isn't that really what our kids do when any kind of parameters are given to them or instruction is given to them? Go clean your room. You got to clean your room up. Oh, so I, I got to work all day long. You're making me work all day. I never get a chance to play because I got to go. I got to work. No, that's not what mama said. Or when the kids get older, what? You got a 10 o'clock curfew. So you don't want me to have any friends? I don't get any friends now? I can't have any fun in all of my life. No, we said be home by 10 o'clock. We didn't say you couldn't have friends. We didn't say you couldn't have fun. We set parameters and you live within those parameters. It, it says that's our nature. That what? God's holding out on us. God is cruel to us. What else happens? Thirdly, people end up just like Eve does. And this is the enemy's design. Is that we're softening the word of God. The, the tremendous, oh the tremendous danger. When we subtly neglect the whole counsel of the word of God. R rather than quoting God exactly... God says what in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17? If you eat of this, you shall surely or certainly die. And somehow now she forgets the word and leaves out the word surely and simply says, lest you die. My goodness, you're kind of being hard on this gal. No, no, there is precision that matters. There's instruction that matters. There's the word of God. There's the full counsel of God that matters. By leaving out this one word, once again, she's attempting to soften the truth by removing the certainty 
of death. What is this? This is a self-allotted, self-appointed revision of God's word that led to, as it always leads to, a very dangerous place. Softening the truth of God's word will put you in harm's way. People oftentimes think, I'm sure that God really, he didn't mean it like that. He's, he's not that. And so what happens is that we kind of think that God is a little bit of a pushover. That we have a little wiggle room on the whole sin issue. And he kind of wink winks. Isn't he going to extend grace upon grace? Isn't he going to forgive us anyway? And so what happens here is we insert the little eye rolling emoji. You know that little one? Like, oh, come on, really? So, so what happens is that there's a subtle casting of doubt that we see Eve. We see others as the intent of the enemy is to do just that. Secondly, what? They're speaking lies. But the serpent... Said to the woman, you will not surely die in chapter 3, verse 4. We just read those words. Let me tell you this. When, when listening to the enemy, you can be assured he will insert at some point. Call it whatever you want to call it. Okay, and there's a thousand synonyms here. Call it deception, dishonesty. Call it deceit untruths, half-truths, little white lies, or big, bold-faced lies. That is exactly what he did when he began to wear down and ultimately tempt Eve to sin. This is what he does. He lies. Jesus described him what in John chapter 8, verse 44. This is what he does. John says what? He, speaking of Satan, does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar. And the father of lies. And, and we what? And we take every word of that as absolute truth. Now there's really, it's interesting, there's not a lot of hidden detail here it's it's actually it's pretty obvious it's right out there it's clear and it's direct god had had expressly stated what eat it eat it and die but the deceiver wants to deceive by suggesting come now die seems a little bit serious that's kind of mean isn't it that doesn't sound very fun it sounds like, like God's got an ego problem. He's controlling everything. No, no, that's not, that's not what it means. You realize by God establishing parameters, laws, do not eat that. He, he's actually modeling for us what it means to be a good parent, to be a, a good, decent, and a loving parent. Which is totally foreign today because a parent today is far more concerned about being the cool parent. A 
parent today is far more concerned about what? Being your kid's best friend rather than teaching them and leading them and guiding them in truth and righteousness and holiness. It doesn't mean you can't be friends. I'm not saying that. But you don't skirt the truth. Why? Because people oftentimes think of God as just what? He's just a big guy upstairs. Oh, I shudder at the very thought when I hear that. God is not the big, God is not, God is not your homeboy, okay? We have to understand, he is perfectly, perfectly holy. He is perfectly righteous. He is perfectly just. And he calls us to complete obedience, not partial obedience. He calls us to a reverential awe. Our mouths are wide open in awe. Of what? Of his greatness, of his grace, and of his glory. Just a couple weeks ago, I remember I was talking about this very subject. Where we think about all the blessings that God has in store for you. When we, what? Are in reverential awe of him. When we fear him. That's worthy enough for us to be reminded of that. Because like we forget what we ate yesterday. Let alone a couple weeks ago. You realize what the word of God is saying? It says that he delights in those who fear him. Psalm chapter 147 verse 11. God delights, but what? In those who are in reverential awe of his greatness, of his grace, and of his glory. The list went on what? His friendship is for those who fear him. Psalm 25 14. His goodness is stored up for those who fear him. Psalm 31, verse 19. The eye of the Lord is upon those, is on those who fear him. Psalm 33, verse 18. His steadfast love is for those who fear him. Psalm 103, verse 11. And yet at some level, we just kind of like wink away God's holiness and kind of we set the parameters and laws. Sure, I can't text when I can drive, but I can let the wolfhound look my face while I'm driving down the road. You, you understand what happens here. We have to trust God entirely that his entire word is true. Do, do you trust that? Like, do you realize that this is the counsel that is given to us for how we literally wake up in the morning? What we do in every minute of our day? How we raise our children? How we pray? You realize this is the full word. Totally have faith in. Total trust in regardless of the fact that it is being attacked and mocked and ridiculed every single day. Every corner you turn, somebody is mocking the word of God. Think about this. In, in all that you hear today, in all that you read today, in all that you Google today, may I ask you this, can you discern truth from lies? Well, I read this online. But this, come now, people. Are you, are you easily led astray? Do, do you consider God's word to be 
absolute truth. That's a yes, no answer. Do do you understand why we make great effort at offering more books for you to read and Sunday school classes on doctrine? You do realize that is important that we teach those things. Let me tell you this. You will starve to death on 45 minutes a week being taught the word of God. You will be weak and emaciated and you'll be vulnerable to attack if this is all you get. No, no. Don't go bolting out of here, people. You got questions about this? Ask the question. Little QR code, make it as easy as we can. Ask the question. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. I'm struggling here. Help me understand this. You understand, this is why we give such high place to the authority of Scripture. I could really get excited about the Word of God, but I'm just moving on here. Number three. We also, what, see how the enemy loves tempting us. Tempting us. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Notice as well that the enemy tempts us using what? Using our own flesh. We have talked about the fact that God has created us in his image to reflect his glory. And we know as James chapter 1 verse 17 tells us what? That every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of light. God has created every beautiful thing. Every beautiful thing that can and should. And I put this in parentheses within reasoned control appeal to us and ultimately point us toward his glory thankfully God has made a way for us to enjoy his created beauty how has he done that he's given to us eyes and ears he's given to us the ability to taste And to smell and to touch and to see his glory revealed all around us. And this is a good thing. March 2021. Remember it very clearly. Like many of you who who got COVID maybe for the first time. I lost my taste and I lost my smell entirely. Like nothing. I was in the middle of a vanilla cream donut down in Florida. And I was like, wait a minute. Something's happening here and this is not good. And I'm a taste guy. And it was really, really like you can't. Like God made me to enjoy this. And there's nothing. You know that you can't smell. March. All the way through to August. Nothing. Nothing. And I did all like the, you have to put like chili powder on the, on the orange and you got to barbecue it. I did everything. Pastor Stewart was giving me hot ghost peppers. Nothing. And I remember this. I was in Geisinger Hospital visiting someone. It was in August. And, and after I was visiting, I stopped at the gas station to get some gas. And I have always been, you still get hungry. Okay, when you don't have taste. 
And I, and I stopped, I got some gas, and I picked up a, a tasty cake, um, Chris, uh, the, the crimpet, the, the little butterscotch crimpets. Always have loved it. And I remember that I put it in my, my middle of the seat, and I was driving home, and I was talking to my mom. I drove all the way, and I totally forgot about my butterscotch crimpet. Until I got, no joke, I was right here on 220, just past uh, the Walmart exit, and I remembered my butterscotch crimpet. I was like, wow, I was hungry. And I remember I opened up and just instinct with me. You never eat a butterscotch. You open up and then you just like inhale the beauty and the savor of the crimpet. And no joke, I remember it. I remember it like, like today. I opened it up and I smelled butterscotch crimpet. The first thing I smelled since March. And I will tell you this, honest truth. I told when a tear just came right down <laughs> my face. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are real. I just share that. Why? Because that's like, come on. I'm like you. You're like me. We like that stuff. God created us with all of these senses to enjoy all the beauty and the glory and the greatness of his creation. That is God in his sheer grace. He's gifted us with these senses. Yet what happens in a broken world, things that we desire and delight in, things that are beautiful things that God created that can be and have been, sadly what? Exploit it. Indulging in things that are not ours to indulge in. But God has given to us to be enjoyed, have been objectified. So much so that the enemy uses things that God has desired for our good to tempt us, to entice us toward lust. To look for something, to long for something that is what? That is harmful for us. That is dangerous for us. Or even destructive for us. Such was the fruit that was appealing. How about this? It was a delight to the eyes. But it was clearly, clearly off limits. We did a, a brief study this past fall on spiritual warfare. And, and if you remember, I talked about the fact that what? One of the enemies that we face today, not only is Satan, but what? One of the enemies is our own flesh. Paul uses this word, it's in, in Greek, it's sarks. And he uses it repeatedly to describe what? Our inborn sin nature, which is ruling within all of us. Fallen children of Adam. And it's from this moment, since the fall... Since Adam and Eve, every single person has a natural disposition to assert our own will over what? The authority of God in every single area of our life. I read then, quote it, and I will do it again this morning. Satan doesn't need, need to tempt me to sin or to make me to sin. Satan doesn't need to tempt me to sin or make me to sin. Because my flesh is more than capable of causing my own downfall. End quote. 
But thankfully, but thankfully, it's Romans 8. It's the go-to text. It begins, it was read this morning, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And it reminds us repeatedly what? You are not in the flesh. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, but if by the Spirit, okay, this is the person of the Holy Spirit, a real person, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then what? You will live. I, I love Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if you, what, live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will love, you will live. H hence what, the, the, the classic Puritan line from John Owen on the mortification of sin. Be killing sin. Or it would be killing you. That's what we as men, what, learned about in our men's retreat a couple weeks ago. Man, a couple weeks down the road, how are you doing in that area? Kind of follow up. We got to circle back around. Excitement when we all get together and are encouraged with the bold preaching and clear proclamation of the Word of God. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to put it away. How, how are you doing now? I hope what? You got guys on speed dial to call you. Brother in the Lord called me just this week and he said, hey, just pray for me, okay? Just pray for me. I'm going to be, I'm going to be um, away and I want you to pray for me and encourage me. So I want some safeguards up. That's wisdom right there. May I remind you, even when temptations assail and when the flesh screams, when, when desire and lust burns as believers... As we know in Galatians chapter 5, we walk by the spirits and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Finally, fourthly, the, the, the doubt, the lies, the temptation often result in what? Causing disobedience. What, what happens here? The latter part of verse 6. She took of its fruit and ate isn't this interesting that our sin doesn't just bother or destroy one person? Our, our, our sin has a tendency to be passed on, particularly to those who are closest to us. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Don't for a moment, don't for a moment think that Adam is not responsible for his own actions, that this is Eve's fault. Okay, sure, Eve did eat, but so did Adam. And it's such a simple, it may seem like such an innocent bite. And yet you've all heard this, you've all heard this before. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. I literally wrote that phrase and I was like, who said that? 
Okay, Google says, we've all heard that. And so you Google, like, who said, and you put in the quote, and, and it's attributed to a couple different people tell you the truth. But do you know who was the first one? you know who was at the top of the list? And I want to be careful here. Do you know the man who is known for saying that more than any other person? Is Dr. Ravi Zacharias. Well-known author, speaker, and what? That's why I want to be careful. Disgraced apologist while teaching and preaching worldwide was also living a secret, a hidden, a dark, and a very, very sinful life that didn't even come to light until after he was dead. That you, you realize this, that the CMA, the Christian Missionary Alliance, who had ordained him, actually posthumously defrocked him. Said that we will what? We revoke your ordination. The guy's dead and in the ground. Why? Because there's devastation and there's destruction that goes on that what you and I are responsible. Fathers, think, to the third and the fourth generation. Yes, we're responsible for our own actions, but we realize the truth that sin always, always, what? Takes you further than you want to go, keeps you there longer, and hurts you more than you ever thought. Oh, oh, the cost, people, if nothing else, this morning. The, the, the cost and the consequences when anyone steps outside the rule. And, and remember, it's, it's a rule that is given in love. When everyone steps outside the guidelines and the principles, the statutes that he has given to us, God has given to us for our own good and ultimately for his glory. And remember, as we unfurl what? A literal narrative. See the warning here. Isaiah chapter 5 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Isaiah 5 says what? Woe who put darkness for those who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd, same word, in their own sight. The serpent who was more crafty, who was more shrewd, same word. You, you, you realize the warning here, Titus chapter 2, for by the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. People, there's a call right now, and there's a place for the church to live totally different than the rest of the world. And you have heard it. In your hearts, not just in your words, deep within, what? Honor Christ the Lord as holy. In this Genesis account, we not only see Satan's character, in a sense, who he is. We, we not only see, in a sense, what he does in order to accomplish his goal, ultimately, of opposing God. 
But I think we're given one, one of the great reminders for the church today is that we've got to understand the schemes. It says what in Ephesians chapter 6, to stand firm against the schemes, the strategies, the wiles of the devil. And I hope you understand and hear that the biggest way, the biggest scheme and tactic is attacking the very word of God, casting doubt, diminishing, adding to it, softening it, speaking lies, tempting us, causing disobedience. When that happens, tell you what we need to do, I'll leave you with this, pay close attention to the precision of Scripture. Why? Because details matter. You don't just reinterpret this however you want. You don't pick and choose. You don't soften. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says what? About every single jot and tittle. A jot is the tenth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's the smallest one. It literally is like an iota. It's smaller than an apostrophe. A tittle is actually even smaller than that. It's a brush stroke. It's the end of a brush stroke. That extends past the letter like every single little word. That's why we give such care and attention to this. Why? Because details matter. You can't go twisting it. Compare everything with the rest of Scripture. Why? Because consistency matters. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So you can't take one verse out and kind of run your whole life. That's why we teach you to weave it all, the fabric of God's word. And finally, see its full purpose ultimately is for the glory of God. Obedience matters. John Piper says it like this, Obedience to God makes our God-glorifying hope visible and proves that he is real in our lives. That's why obedience is important. That's why we teach our kids and correct our kids and discipline our kids in love. Because obedience matters. The psalmist uses these words in Psalm 31, verse 3. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. May that be our prayer. To be led in the truth of the gospel. We are broken sinners in desperate need of a Savior who is the only one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and rose again the third day. And I can't wait to celebrate that in just a couple weeks. But it's for His name, His glory. Please lead us. Please guide us. Father, we need your help today and we thank you that you've allowed us the privilege of hearing your word. And I just pray, Lord, that. The work would, would, not, would not finish here as we walk out or race out, but it would begin here. That we would search our own hearts. We would see the, the temptation and the, the allure to twist and distort the full counsel of God. Forgive us. Help us to realize that details matter. Help us to understand the importance of obedience. Father, we admit that we cannot do this in our own strength, and so we plead with you, please give us the strength. That for your name's sake, you will lead us and guide us. We ask this in Christ's name.